be seated for just a moment, and uh, we'll stand to honor the reading of God's Word. This morning, I don't know if you noticed this, but we had uh, Tanner missing, Mason missing, and Andrew missing. And uh, this morning, Mason is singing, so he's in another ministry. And Tanner is preaching at the church I, uh, the first church I ever pastored at Taylor's Providence. And I have no idea where Andrew is. And so uh, we were, uh, I thought, what are we going to do for a bass player? And how many of you believe that the Lord can provide? You believe that this morning? And so uh, I play bass. And Anthony plays bass, and we had to be on other instruments. And lo and behold, about uh, a month and a half ago, uh, a guy named Dustin Rice decided that, that he would like to come to church here, and he's got a beautiful little family. And so that tall, skinny guy that was playing the bass this morning, a lot of you may not know him, that's Dustin Rice. And I've played music with him, and he's standing suspiciously by that door back there because I think he's about to go get a drink of water. So how many of you thought he did a good job this morning? And uh, we appreciate Dustin, and, and uh, he used to play bass for the, the, the Bluegrass Gospel Group Midnight Cry. Many of you have probably heard them. I think they did a revival here a few years ago. So God provides, and uh, we've got an abundance of musicians. We've got a first-string piano player, a second-string, a third-string, and a fourth-string piano player. And so we're, we're just abundantly blessed. A lot of churches don't even have one piano player, and we've got at least four or five people. So God's been good to us. Amen. And, uh, and we're, this morning, we're going we're gonna to prepare, hopefully, prepare our hearts and prepare ourselves uh, for next week. Now, this is, this is a standalone message, can be a standalone message, but hopefully we can get prepared for revival. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just throw something out there for you. If, if I were to ask you the question, and you just answer this to yourself and answer it in your own heart, what would be the, the mark or the measure of a successful revival. I mean, what would you say uh, uh, when revival's over, maybe next week, and we gather the week after that, and I can stand up here and say, do you think that our revival was successful? Some of you might say, yeah, it was, it was wonderful because this, this, and this happened. And those things that happen usually involve maybe people getting saved, Right? Or, or th that may be that there was, there was a good spirit in the house and that people were, were worshiping freely and that, and that the Holy Spirit was working. And, and we can say, well, you know, there was a lot of people on the altars, so that must mean that revival was successful. Those are just some things that we would say, and there are probably many more factors that we might say was, was successful. But I think the mark of a successful revival can't really be measured in tangible ways. You can't just say we had this many people in attendance and this many people on the altar and say because we met this certain threshold of numbers that we must have had a successful revival. Now, do I believe that, that churches should keep track of things? We keep track of attendance every Sunday. Did you know that? We, we count you, and, and I don't know when they count you in the service, but every week they hand me a number, and they said there was this many people here. Or, or, and we, we keep track of the offerings, and, and those are numbers that we keep track of. But really, at the end of the day, does that mean just because we have a certain number of people that we're successful in a church? I don't think it does. And I think the same thing goes on to apply to revival or, or any service for, for that matter is that you can't say because this, this, and this, these numbers 
were, were what happened in the service and therefore it must be successful. I think a successful revival is when God's people have a change in their life for the better. But the thing about it is, is a lot of times we come and we hear good preaching and, and we say amen to the preacher and, and I have no doubt in my mind that, that one week from now in 168 hours from right now when Brother David Crow is standing in this pulpit, he's going to preach the Word of God. No question in my mind he's going to bring a good message with him. But let me tell you that Brother David is not going to revive this church. Brother David can preach the best message that we've ever heard. He may, he may have preached some of the best messages I've ever heard, but we can't depend on him. We can't depend on, on, on people to bring it. You can't depend on me to get up here and, and open the service and just because of some things I say to get you worked up or maybe some songs that are sung or whatever, that revival comes. Revival is going to come when people are changed. And so let's go this morning, uh, just, we're just going to read one verse, and I'm, I'm going to bounce around actually in, in quite a bit of Scripture this morning, so please just bear with me. Let's go to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra, chapter number 9, we're going to read one verse. Ezra chapter number 9, and verse 8, you can stand to honor the reading of God's Word, please. Here's where revival is, is, is going to come. This, this verse, Ezra chapter 9, verse number 8. If you're there, say amen. If you have no idea that there was a book in your Bible called Ezra, it's on the screen, okay? And it says this, it says, And now, for a little space, grace hath been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place, that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, we thank you for the wonderful opportunity to be in your house this morning. And God, I just pray that you would touch people this morning. And Lord, that your word would go out and it would permeate people's hearts. And God, that people's eyes would be opened, and Lord, that hearts would be prepared. And Lord, not just for next week, but, but Lord, for today. God, whatever you may say, Lord, I just pray that, that you would speak to people this morning. And God, help us to turn back to you. And God, to worship you. And Lord, please send us a revival. Give me clarity of mind and clarity of speech as I preach your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't read the book of Ezra a whole lot, and I don't know that I have ever preached from it. And as I was studying this week and uh, began to think about revivals that happen in the Bible, you know, a revival, it's sort of a, it's sort of a thing that, that's hard to define what a revival really is, right? You can say, well, a revival is, is when we meet, you know, under, under different circumstances, maybe on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I, I remember when we used to have revivals all week. Do you all remember that? Hadn't been that long, has it? And you bring in a different preacher and, you know, and, and, and you sort of, you want to stir people up. that You want to kind of stir the waters, if you will. And, and so I thought, well, what is, what, what is a real revival in the Bible? 
And you know, there were several revivals in the Bible. Now, the way that we look at a revival, what a revival is, it's, it's taking something that, that is almost lifeless, that is, that is just maybe maybe on the verge of death even, and it's, it's, it's been going downhill for a while, and, and it's sort of boosting it, and, and, and it's bringing it back to life. I want you to understand this, that generally when somebody is almost dead, and I, Tanner's not here this morning, but, but he's our medical guy in the church, and maybe there's a nurse or something. When, when, there's, when somebody's almost dead, you know what has to be done to bring them back to life. You can't just dilly-dally around with them. You have to take some extreme measures sometimes. Wouldn't you agree with that? You know, somebody's laying on the laying on the on the bed in a hospital, and they've coded, and and you know they're calling for the crash cart. And when someone they call for that crash cart, some of you may know what that is, some of you may not. That's when they roll that cart in there, and they get those paddles out. And in order to revive you, you know, you know what they're going to do? They're going to hit you in the chest really hard with some electricity. And people, it hits them so hard they jump up off the bed. Y'all have seen that, right? Y'all have seen it maybe in TV shows and seen it, seen it dramatized. But in order for a real revival to take place there has to be a, a, like a shock or, or just something that hits people hard you can't just have somebody that's almost dead and, and just kind of bring them back to life by patting them on the head and saying you know what it'll be okay we'll, we'll get through this you know what as a preacher sometimes I think I'm guilty of I think I'm guilty of, of coming to the church which which I don't know, I, I don't think we have a dead church. You can, you can say amen, you can say oh me, I don't know. But, but I'm guilty sometimes of coming to church and just sort of patting people on the head and saying we're going to get through this. When what people really need is they need a, a true message from God. They need, they need a shock, if you will. And so we arrive here in the book of Ezra. And the book of Ezra is it's a very terrible time for the nation of Israel. If you know anything about your Old Testament, you'll know that the children of Israel, they're God's chosen people. God wrote the Ten Commandments to these people that we're about to read about. God wrote the entire law to them. Anybody that was anybody in the Bible that ever did a whole lot for God came from these people. Moses was an Israelite, and, and they came from Abraham, and, and so many people, they're Israelite people. And you would think, just for a minute, that God's people would do God's will, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think that? You would think that God, if, if God created this nation, if God called you and, and gave you all these laws and did all these great miracles, you would think that sometimes you would think they would stick with God. But there are so many instances in the Bible when God's people would stray away from Him. They would turn their back on Him. And if God said, go over here, they would say, you know what? I got a better idea. Let's go this way. And so I think that the biggest need for revival that every time Israel would, would stray away from God, it's because they, something happened. And, and here's the word that we need to talk about this morning is they got some sin in their heart. Did you know when you rebel against God that that is, that is sin? You, you know, we, we like to define sin as bad things, right? We like to say, well, you know, homosexuality is sin, and it is, amen? We like to point out the bad stuff, well, adultery is sin, and, and if you kill somebody, that's really bad. But did you know if you're not being obedient to God and His will for your life that you're living in sin? My goodness. That's a shock, isn't it? 
Nobody wants to think about that. And so these people, they had, they had rebelled against God. In the nation of Israel, they had turned their back on God to the point, get this, that they had literally lost God's books. They didn't know where the scrolls were. They didn't know where, the, where anything was that God has given, had given them. And they got to this point and now they are, get this, they are paying for their sin. I look around and, and, and I see a nation that we live in. And you know what I think our nation is doing right now? I think it's paying for its sin. Anybody? Anybody agree with me? Is everybody like, I don't know about that. I think our nation's paying for sin. And I think our churches are paying for their sin. And the, the children of Israel, they are literally in captivity. And finally, Ezra has had enough, and he goes over and he tries to, tries to go to God's people and tries to reason with them and tries to, to be spiritual with them and, and tell them the error of their ways. I'm going to read chapter, five, or chapter 9, verse 5. So just go up just a couple of verses from where we were, and, and I'm going to read to you the words of Ezra. And here's the first key to revival right here. I'm going to give you some ideas about how revival is going to start. He says, And at the evening sacrifice I rose up from my heaviness. And having rent my garment, and, and he, he says, Having torn my clothes and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. And said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to Thee. My God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day, and for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the land, to the sword, to captivity, and to spoil, and to confusion of face, as it is this day. Ezra got to a point in his life where he said, he said, if, if we're going to see anything done, he said, we're going to have to get ashamed of our sins. Nobody's ashamed of sin anymore. Did you know that? Am I, is it okay if I preach on sin? Not, not really. I'm not going to ask for your permission. I'm just going to preach it anyways. But, but let, me, let me tell you this, that, that people are not ashamed of anything these days. And I'm not talking about them out there, okay? I'm not talking about outside I'm talking about people that are sitting in these pews this morning we, we, we get we, we're not ashamed of it in fact it seems a lot of times that if we're not careful we, we almost take pride in our sin and, and what we've done is we've gotten to the point where we try to see how much God will let us get away with well you know I'm going to try to go a little further and a little further and a little further and then eventually, you know what happens? We become captive to our sin. See, every time that the children of Israel needed a revival in the nation, it's because they were in captivity. You think back to the book of Exodus. They had been in captivity for 400 years. 
and they had to have a Moses I would say he led them in the revival he pulled them out of Egypt and they celebrated but then they started slowly to get back in their sins and there's several times over and over that they end up in captivity and finally we get here and they've been in the, I mean just it, Jerusalem is destroyed because of the sin of the people and now Ezra is ashamed to even lift up his head before God I'll tell you where revival is going to start. It's going to start, the, the very root of it is going to be some people getting their hearts right with God. Anybody say amen to that besides Miss Vivian? I'm glad I got you, sister, because it'd be rough without you. It's going to take people getting ashamed of their sin because it says in verse 8, we, we could stop there and you know what, we could be hopeless, right? It, it, you, we could say, well, you know, we've sinned and we're at this point and it's there, there's nothing we can do. I've heard that before. I've heard preachers say that, that well, we're, we're to this point and I just don't know what we're going to do. i tell you what we're going to do. We're going to beg God for His grace. Amen? We're going to beg God, God, please, please heal us of our sin. God, forgive us. And, and, and then Ezra goes on to say this, and he says, For a little space grace has been showed from the Lord our God. And he says that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. I want you to understand this, that, that even though the world's falling apart, even though th things seem to be going bad, we can have a revival in our church. It's not just because David Crow's going to come and preach some sermons. It's not just because we're going to have some singers. It is because the people of God must humble themselves, get on their knees, and beg for forgiveness from God. Do you believe me? And, and, and it seems like nobody really wants to do that. And so we have identified a problem, right? We've said, well, yeah, I, I understand that. I get that concept, uh, but and, and then we say, but. But. And here's what we do when revival gets here, when, when it's time for revival. We've identified what the problem is. We've said that we're going to ask God for grace, right? That is the solution to all of our problems. God is the solution to every problem we will ever have, no matter what kind of problem it is. God is the solution to your problem. God's the solution to problems you don't even know you have yet. Amen? And so we have this problem. And, and, and hopefully you're not too proud to see that there's sin in your life that could be repented of. You may not be a murderer. You may not be somebody living in adultery. You may not be a homosexual. But there are things in our life that we could stand to get rid of. Amen? There are things that, that we're not ashamed of that we should be ashamed of. And, and if we will ask God for forgiveness, you know what He will do. He will show us grace. Because He is a graceful and merciful God. But what a lot of people want to do, and, and what I tend to do, is I wait on somebody else. I'm bad for that. And you think, well, you're the preacher. You, you ought to be bringing revival. I can't bring revival. Do you know who's going to bring revival to your heart? You and God. That's it. And so I want to I'm going to ask you this these three these are really these are not even really hard questions. In order for revival to start, we got to have somebody that starts it. 
and I'm going to give you a case. I'm, I'm, going to get, I'm going to make a point out of that. If you turn your Bible over just a few pages, maybe just a couple of pages to the book of Nehemiah. Y'all have heard this story, right? You've heard the story of Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 and, and, and verse number 1. Let's read just, just about four verses there. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakkai, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year I was in the Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So he's asking about these Jews in captivity, the ones that I've told you that have been captured here. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the providence are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. That's the condition these captives were captives are living in they're being afflicted they're being uh, beaten up there's wars and there's famines and there's so many bad things going on and so Nehemiah who is living in a palace I want you to understand this Nehemiah has got it good he is the king's cupbearer and that may not mean a lot to you but what that means in history is that if you are the king king's cupbearer that means that you get to stand in the royal palace and that you get a nice comfy bed and that you get nice clothes and you smell good and 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 you're a handsome guy that one of the qualifications is that you had to be good looking to be the king's cupbearer because the king didn't want ugly people in his court all right and so all these things Nehemiah had it made and and he said hey what's going on in Jerusalem and he tells them how bad it was and so Nehemiah could have said well I hate to hear that But verse 4 it says this, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And he said, And I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. He said, Let thine ear, ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which is before thee now. Day and night for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. You know what we hear about Nehemiah? Who's heard about Nehemiah? Who's heard his story? Raise your hand. I want, I want to see this. Just in case you don't know, Nehemiah went on and he builds a wall. Okay, that's what we hear about. When we hear about Nehemiah, when we hear his message getting preached, we hear that he went down there and and he gathered up a bunch of people and he built a wall in 52 days, which is amazing. But that's not what I'm going to preach today. Do you know that the reason Nehemiah was able to do that is because he had revival in his heart from God and it spread from there. Do you understand that? And do you see where it started? When Nehemiah heard how bad things were going, remember, he's got it made in the palace just like we've got it made, amen? Every one of us has got it made, don't we? 
We've all got it made. And we hear about how bad things are and, and about how, how the, the things are corrupt and the world's you know, falling apart. And we think we could say, oh, well, you know what? That's their problem. I'm living here in a, in a plush church and I've got this going for me and I'm going to heaven. But it said, no, that Nehemiah heard the news and he began to weep before God. He was concerned about what was going on. See, another thing is we're going to have to repent of our sins and then we're going to have to get concerned for those around us. Are we really concerned for people that are dying and going to hell? I mean, be honest with me. What's our, what's our concern for that? I heard a, a statistic. I don't, know, I, I don't know who said this, but they, they said something like every three seconds somebody dies. That's a little faster than three seconds. Imagine that. Every three seconds somebody's dying. And they're spending eternity somewhere, right? We believe that as Christians. How many of them are going to heaven and how many of them are going to hell? I'd say a lot more of them are going to hell. Wouldn't you say that? Why is that? Are we concerned like we should be? And so Nehemiah, he hears this and it says that he hears these words and he just sat down and he began to weep. And he began to mourn and he began to, to fast. And then he began to pray. And he didn't start praying for the other people. You know, as, as a pastor, I pray for you. And I'm praying that our church gets revived. And, and I'm praying that the message goes out and it penetrates our hearts. But you know, when we pray for revival, like Nehemiah needed to see in, in the kingdom of Israel this time, Nehemiah said, if revival is going to start in this nation, I guess it's going to have to start right here in my heart. And if it don't start with me, who's it going to start with? So the first question is, if it's not me, then who's it going to be? Right? Ask yourself that question. If revival is going to start here at the Cookville Free Will Baptist Church, you know who it's going to start with? It's going to start with you. You can't expect David to do it. You can't expect us to do it. It's got to start in your heart. Can you say amen to that? And that's going to start with us confessing our sins before a holy God. Before Nehemiah went and did anything, before he went and, and surveyed Israel, before he started trying to fix everybody else's problems, he said, I've got to get my heart right with God. I've got to get my life in order and, and put my priorities where they're supposed to be. It can't be something that I'm expecting somebody else to do for me or waiting on anybody else to come and, and preach the right sermon or say the right words and, and things happen. Revival has to start in our very own heart and Nehemiah begins to pray he says if it's not me who's it going to be and then the next question I, that I bet he asks is uh, if it don't start now when's it going to start now, these people have been in captivity for, for uh, almost a hundred years now Several years, several decades, they have been in captivity. In fact, Nehemiah is a person that was born in captivity, had probably never been to Jerusalem. He was born into it. But he says, you know, he said, if revival doesn't start with me, but, but when has it got to start? It needs to start now. He said, God's people have got to have a change because if we don't have a change, guess what? We're going to die. The nation of Israel, if, if something did not happen, if God did not intervene, remember, you know who's left of these people? I believe it's Nehemiah that says it. 
in verse number 3. It says, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left. There's just a few of them left. There's, just, there's not a whole lot of people left that are worshiping God. And he said, the remnant that are left, he said, if we don't do something, he said, our, our belief, our nation is just going to be wiped off the face of the earth if the Babylonians and the Persians have anything to do with it. And Nehemiah says, that can't happen on my watch. I'm, I'm going to do something about it. And I know what you're sitting there thinking now. I, I've, I've been there too. In fact, I think it every Sunday when I stand in the pulpit, uh, I'm not good enough to do anything about it. I can't start a revival. What, what, what about now? Uh, well, you know, let's wait. Let's get these things in order and these things in order. No, let's just start revival now. How about that? Let's start it. I, I don't know who it's going to start with, but I'll tell you that, that if we can just have a little catalyst, like Nehemiah, if we would have somebody to stand up and, and maybe not even not stand up and say it, but maybe come to the altar and say, God, forgive me of my sins and let the revival start with me and my heart right now, not, not in a week, not, not in six months, but right now, why can't we have it start? And then the last question I want to say, or last thing I want to present to you, is we know that our nation needs a revival, right? I don't know that if the, if the nation's too far gone, it may be. That's not my problem to decide. That's in God's hands. But if, if a revival's going to start, you know where it might as well start? Here. Right? It might as well start here. We can't, you know, all the great revivals have started somewhere. The, the great revival that happened in Chicago back in the late 1800s where thousands and thousands and thousands of people were saved, you know where that actually started at? It started in a prayer room, just to be honest with you. It didn't start in a church. It didn't start in, uh, in a great assembly of people where they all met together. It started because a few people got their heart right with God and put God in the forefront of their lives, and just a handful of people began to meet and pray and, and, and pray for that their sins would be forgiven, and guess what? God revived a whole nation of people. I don't know if we're past that or not, that's, but that's, you know what? Let's start a revival in our church. Let's stand up and, and, and be honest with ourselves and say, yes, there are some things in my life that should not be there. They may not be the, the, the worst sins, that, but, the, but sin in God's eyes, it's the same. Sin is sin. Understand that. You know, I, I want to throw this out there real quick. You know, people say that God has to, to send people to hell because of sin. You know why God sends people to hell? Because they don't believe in Jesus. And so sin affects every single one of us. I, I hate to admit this, and, and some of you probably won't believe this, but even though I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven, I still commit sins. We all do. And I do things sometimes that I'm not proud of. And sometimes my, my tongue says things that it shouldn't. Can you say amen to that? And sometimes I have thoughts that I shouldn't and, and my heart, it just feels things that it shouldn't. 
We need, we need a revival in our churches. We need, we need to see some people saved. But I think that, that we're, the, the way we're going to see people saved is to get the, the church right first. And then I believe we can see some people saved. And so I would like somebody this morning to be like Nehemiah and say, hey, the revival is going to start with me. I'm not going to wait on anybody else to say the right words. I'm not going to wait on somebody else to go to the altar. I'm not going to wait later and repent of my sins after I'm done with them. I'm going to do it right now. So I'm going to do something totally different this morning. It's totally different. I'm done preaching. I hope you've understood the message. I hope you understand where revival is going to start. Where's it going to start? When we repent of our sins, right? When we quit asking God to, 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 when we quit worrying about other people and get ourselves right with God, then revival will start. It'll start right here in our heart and then it will spread. So I would like us to be ready by the time Brother David gets here next week. I would like us to be prepared. So let's stand up and let's bow our heads. And I would like you to uh, just, just everybody be quiet for just a moment. And I want you to start thinking uh, about things in your life that may not be pleasing to God. And I want you to ask yourself that question. Is, is there sin in my life? Absolutely, there probably is. And, is, and we've already got somebody on the altar and, and maybe this person's praying, let me be like Nehemiah. Would you like to be the next person on the, on the altar to say, God, let the revival start in me. Lord, forgive me of my sins, whatever they may be. Hey, I don't want you to come tell me what your sins are, okay? I don't want to know what your sins are. But you need to confess them to God. And I guarantee that if you will do that, if you will just ask God to forgive you, He will give us grace and He will, he will revive us in our bondage. And I'm going to pray, and if you want to come to the altar, I beg you to come, and, and I want to see lives changed through this revival. Father, we come before you. And Lord, I'm like Ezra sometimes. I'm ashamed to even lift my head. God, I just pray that you would forgive us. God, forgive me. Lord, as I think about my life and, and the, the, the areas, Lord, that I fail you, but I just pray that you would forgive me and that the precious blood of Jesus would, would cleanse me of my sins and that, Lord, maybe the revival can start with me. Or maybe it's already started with somebody else and, and maybe somebody's getting honest with you this morning. God, I just pray that it would start here and it would start right now. And Lord, we wouldn't put it off anymore, God. We wouldn't expect anybody else to do it. But God, we would say, I want to be the one that revival starts with. I want to be the one to do something about it. And God, we know that you're a God of mercy and that you're a God of grace. And that Lord, you want to see your church prosper. You want to see us uh, bring bring people in and, and lead them to you, God. That's all part of your plan. But in order for that to happen, we need to get ourselves right. God, help us. God, help me this morning.
Lord, I love this sound of this holy silence this morning. God, the reverence that is in this place of people asking you, Lord, for forgiveness, whether they're at the altar or not, Lord, but God, help us. Lord, help me. So we will be dismissed, and uh, it's just been good to be here. It's been a little different, but I was apprehensive about this message, but I believe that that was the one God gave me. Brother Albert, dismiss us, please.